Welcome to Day by Day Stories of Business, Life, and Everything in Between. My name is Anne Day, and every week I will be bringing you stories to inspire and inform you. As women, we wear so many hats and juggle so many roles. We will be talking about what's important to us, our work, family, relationships, health, and the world around us. Please join us as we share these conversations about what matters most. Let's connect. October is Breast Cancer Prevention Month, and so we thought we would spend a session just looking at that topic. Here's some stats. In 2019, an estimated 26,900 Canadian women will be diagnosed with breast cancer, and 5,000 will die of it. Breast cancer accounts for approximately 25% of new cases of cancer, and all 13% of cancer deaths in Canadian women. One in eight women are expected to develop breast cancer during her lifetime, and one in 33 will die of it. These are scary statistics. But these days, being diagnosed with breast cancer is not the death sentence that it used to be, as you will hear from my three guests today, who are here, live and well, ready to share their breast cancer story. Not only have they survived, but as you will learn, it has changed their lives. And the other thing they have in common is they've written books about their cancer experience and lives. I know this is true too, because I have had breast cancer twice, once when I was 39 and later in my 50s. But I feel like the poster girl, as it has been 30 years since my first diagnosis. The key is to get yourself checked if you find a lump. Yes, the mammogram is not a fun experience, but it is important. If you learn nothing else from this talk today, be proactive take charge of your health. Today we have three women who are going to be sharing their stories. First up, we have Lise Wilcox. Lise is a mindset and success coach, an author, an LMP practitioner, podcast host, mom of three, and as she tells me, a taco enthusiast. She's also just written her book, To Call Myself Beloved and we'll hear from her first. So, Lise, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I know that you've had breast cancer, because we've talked about this, obviously, before. Can you tell us, when, was, when were you diagnosed, and, and how did you discover this yourself? I was diagnosed the same day my ex-husband was getting married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whammy. <laughs> story. Um, and that was in... I think that was in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, it must have been 2018. Uh, but I originally found the lump a few a few months before that. So I found it in May. I didn't really get fully diagnosed until August. I had two misdiagnoses in there. So there was a bit of an unfolding process between the time in which I found the lump and actually had it diagnosed as very real cancer. Yeah, often these things can take so long um, as I shared with you, I've had breast cancer too. And, and like yourself, I was much younger with the first time I was diagnosed. And in fact, I found a lump. They sent me off for a mammogram and um, it wasn't anything. It was just a cyst, but it sh- something else showed up on the other breast. Wow. So, I mean, how lucky was I? I mean, really? So, yeah. so uh, 
I've already alluded that you were younger when, when you were diagnosed. So how old were you at the time? I was, so I was 36. It was a week before I turned 37, but I technically I was 36 when I found the lump. And yeah, a few months later we got the diagnosis. What came with that young age was also being a solo parent of three and running my <laughs> running my own business. So it felt like a lot, felt like a lot to happen, especially with no family history, that it wasn't even on my radar as something that could happen. It really felt like it came out of out left field. Yeah, it's interesting. I was actually, di- my mother had breast cancer, but she was diagnosed after me. So, oh, so we certainly went through the genetic testing, but wow. But who knows? Yeah. Um, I, I know, uh, you, so your kids were, were young. They were. How, how um, old were they at the time? Oh, yeah. How old were they? So that was, I think, six and eight. So I have young twins. So six, six, and eight. Wow. Sounds about right. Yeah. So how did you manage? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, such, it's a crazy story for me because I am a mindset coach. And I've already lived a life that has had so much, uh, that has demanded so much resiliency through having a lot of challenges. Um, You know, my kids too, their lives are really lovely and comfortable. uh, And they've experienced a lot of adversity in their young lives. You know, like having your parents get divorced when you're, what, three and five is a big deal. It's a big deal at any age, but it's, it's a really big deal to all of a sudden experience that. And, you know, their dad moved a few times. We relocated a couple of times. And so there's been a lot that they had to handle that cancer was kind of just the next step. And interestingly, you know, in my previous life, I was a Montessori educator. So I have a lot of information about children, about um, psychological development and child development. So I was in a really good place to be able to help them navigate uh, every step along the way and was really proud to be able to do so. So what were some of the steps you took to help them navigate? Um, the same as with any, any new or um, adverse situation, like for example, a pandemic and divorce, um, bite-sized information, but very, very real information delivered in a completely age-appropriate way. So for example, what that looks like for our family was that when I first found the lump, I didn't know what it was. I, I actually, I definitely knew, and I was in such denial that I didn't want to know what I knew. So when they were like, oh, it's nothing, I was like, oh, perfect. Even though I knew that wasn't going to be true in the end, I was like, oh, this is perfect for now. But I remember you know, just saying to them, like mommy has this weird bump in her breast. Like just be really, when we're cuddling, just be really mindful that you're extra tender. And later when we, I ended up having um, a lumpectomy, it was, oh, do you remember that lump that we found? Well, we're going to do a surgery and here's what that surgery is going to look like. Our aunt is going to come and take care of us because I might be a little bit groggy. Um, and you'll just have to be really sensitive when we're cuddling or if you're sitting on my lap. And from there it went to Oh, remember that that lump that I had, that that surgery that mommy had? Well, turns out that's something that's called cancer. You've talked about cancer a lot at your school with the Terry Fox run. What do you already know? Okay, what can I tell you? And it was really pieces of information like that. And again, it that was so indicative of the entire experience, like the whole process. Because from there it was like, okay, you remember that mommy has cancer or had cancer, we removed it. Well, 
the great news is that we have this incredible medicine that's going to make sure cancer never comes back. Um, the not great news is that that's something that I'm going to have to be at the hospital every other week for a few hours at a time. And you're not going to believe this. I'm going to lose all my hair. And so it was this like really bite-sized pieces of information as it was happening in a way that could inform and involve them. When I knew I was set up to go through chemo, which was aggressive and I knew I was going to lose all my hair. We had a head shaving party at my house and I was so intentional about involving the children. So I invited a few of my own uh, close personal friends, a few of their friends and parents. My kids' teachers came because it was really important to me that they know they would be supported at home and at school and that the teachers would know if there was a really rough day for them emotionally, that it was probably rooted in something. And so the teachers were there, which I thought was amazing. My aunt came. It was just phenomenal. And I made sure we had like a cool playlist and awesome snacks. So in case there was this terrible reaction, they would ideally remember the day as that time we had like snacks and cool music. Um, as it turns out, I looked so badass with a shaved head. It was actually a lot of fun. <laughs> and just this morning, this is such funny timing. Just this morning, one of my kids piped up from the backseat. That party was really boring, you know. <laughs> I was like, perfect. That is an ideal outcome that you remember that day as being totally uneventful and actually a little bit boring. <laughs> You were saying when we talked once before that you you came up with names for the different medications you had to yes. have. So what were they? <laughs> so this was this was one of my favorite. This is like one of my favorite cancer stories to tell because it was. I think it's just so unconventional. Like I was going into chemo really reluctantly, and I I did not want to do it, but I knew it was the right thing to do. So I had to find so many different ways of wrapping my head around this being the right thing and making it the right experience for me in the way that I needed to experience. So it couldn't be like what I'd seen in the movies or what I'd seen on Instagram. I had to make it like the least Wilcox experience for cancer. <laughs> and You know, one of those things I actually, I really believe that we all are still children and that we're just like in bigger bodies and bigger houses with more financial responsibility, but ultimately like we're still kids and knowing that that person is still alive and well in me. When I went for my first uh, like pre appointment with the nurses at the hospital, I treated it like my first day of kindergarten. So like <laughs> I asked the nurses to show me where I'd be sitting, where the bathroom is. I was like, will there be snacks served? <laughs> like what do I need to know about it? <laughs> And um, there was this one chair. I knew I was going to be doing um, my writing while I was uh, undergoing chemo. And so I remember like there was this one perfect chair in the corner with the most natural light where I could see everybody so clearly. And I, I asked if they would save it for me, which they did. So every week I would go and like my chair would be reserved. So it really turned into this like luxurious experience. But especially for meds, I was so afraid of everything I had seen in every movie and show about how horrible chemo was going to be. And it was, I was, had a lot of anxiety about it. Um, and knowing that I had all these medications to take, like part of me felt really comforted by all these anti-nausea meds. Part of me felt really uh, unsettled by the names like bimethotriexahethadone. And I was like, oh my God, I have to take these medications at a very specific time so that I don't have like relentless vomiting. What if I mess this up? Like, 
So I had to find a way of making that more enjoyable. So my girlies and I made a chart and I wrote down all the medications and the specifications of when I needed to take them at what time in, in the right quantities. But then we labeled each one of those meds with a unicorn sticker or a rainbow or a shooting star, and then correspondingly labeled the med with that sticker. So <laughs> at like 8.30 on Thursday morning, I didn't have to take these really intense medications. I just had to pop a couple of shooting stars and I knew like nausea would be fine. <laughs> and after, like post-treatment, I knew that if I was starting to feel ill or if like there was a headache or, there, or some nausea, it was like, oh, can somebody bring me the unicorn pills? Because I just need to take a couple of those. <laughs> 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 I don't know if I told you this, like forgive me if I'm going on too long, but uh, post-surgery, did I tell you about the drains experience? Yeah. <laughs> but you could share it with our audience. <laughs> like I chose, I, I knew my options post-chemo were either radiation or a double mastectomy. And I went the mastectomy route because radiation did not feel aligned for me. And having this aggressive surgery was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And then we're never going to worry about this again. I'm going to put it in my rear view and drive on forward. Um, but knowing that people kept telling me about the drains, the drains. And I was like, wait a second. Like, do you mean there are going to be drains hanging out of my body with fluids leaking out of me? I was like, this is disgusting. I can't wrap my head around it. I had a lot of anxiety. I could not come to peace with it. And so again, giving it like the LW signature experience treatment, the girls and I had another chart to fill out and we had to record the color and the volume of this fluid coming out of me, which was horrifying to me. But once I got the kids involved, they would like, I would pour it from that bulb into the measuring cup and then they would chart it. So they had to describe the color and the volume. So like the teacher in me is like, Oh, amazing. They're getting like a fluid volume experience right now. But then the beautiful thing was they were like, color uh today it's cherry apple red and you know the next day would be like it's vampire blood it was like the, the home care nurses who were coming to attend to the dressings like they got a good kick out of it, it was such a cool bonding experience and the the really what is my only point here is that it infused joy into an incredibly painful experience. And that was like the overwhelming lesson for me that when, and it's true all across life, it absolutely rang true in cancer, that when you have something really difficult and painful, if you can add beauty and add joy and find a way of making that experience your own, I call that emotional alchemy. You're taking something really dark and heavy and unwanted and making it purposeful and so beautiful. And that's like, that was my cancer experience this crazy diagnosis and this aggressive cancer. And yes, my ex-husband got married the freaking day I got the diagnosis. Like there was so much heaviness and so much pain. And, and you know, I wrote a book during chemo. We found a way of making this experience incredibly and uniquely my own. And that gave it such a sense of joy and beauty into something that was quote unquote supposed to be the worst time of my life. So apart from the joy, what else would you say you had taken away from this experience? What did you learn? It's very unsexy and it's something that is not sellable or scalable or SEO friendly, but the reality is that you're, we're always okay. You know, we think that, oh my God, if this happened, I would never recover from that. Or, you know, if I ever had to go through this experience, I can't imagine I would never, it's like, but 
you will. Like you will be okay. You're always okay. You're always supported. And it's a matter of making that experience a reality that we're actually not dependent on, on our attachments to all the things and events and people in our lives. We're really here living our, our own individual experience. And it's kind of uncomfortable to, to have that lens shone in, but I was like, here we go. Like this for me is a worst case scenario. And it's like, wow, I'm actually okay. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I was saying earlier that um, I know when I was first diagnosed, I was 39. Yeah. Denial was my best friend. I mean, I, nothing was, I, I continued working. I wanted to keep the routines going. My kids were little. Um, but when I got it the second time, which was about 15 years later, uh, and that was a shock because you sort of think you've, you've, you don't realize that you're a member of this exclusive club and the membership never goes away. Um, so that was really a shock. And by that time, I just said, just take them off. <laughs> I don't want to be worried about them yeah. anymore. Yeah. And, you know, I made some changes in my life as a result of that. Do you think of any changes you've made that have really been sort of caused by getting cancer? Well, interestingly, for most people or for so many people, cancer is the catalyst, right? That it, that, you know, yeah. next comes this cascade of change for me that the biggest change in my life had already happened. I left a marriage that looked so perfect on the outside and was in reality incredibly lonely. And so, you know, I say this in the book and to anybody who will listen, divorce, in my experience, was much harder than cancer, like much, much harder than cancer. So I felt like I'd already made that change. And I was like, cool, now I get the cookie. You know, I've done the hard thing, <laughs> now I get the reward, right? And that really did not happen. And so for me, I think that like, that catalyst moment of cancer was I had already been establishing so much momentum in my career and it felt like I hit this wall with cancer. When I learned how to employ this technique of emotional alchemy of like, no matter what happens, you're going to find a way to make this your own. Like no matter what happens, you're going to make this beautiful. That was a very quiet and subtle tipping point that it was like, I am here for a reason. I have a unique perspective at a, at a pretty young age to have this perspective. I have done so much. I wrote a freaking best-selling book during chemo. It's like, I can do this. And so I think for me, it was this losing my hair, losing my breasts, and really choosing to remove my hair and choosing to remove my breasts allowed me to confront a very large and very deep, painful shadow, which was a fear of unlovability rooted in a lot of old childhood stuff that I think when that came to the surface and I had to stare that shadow in the face of like, oh my God, I am actually legitimately terrified that I will never be loved. I will never find a partner. Learning how to confront that very deep wound and that very, very deep fear made me the woman I am today and the very strong, resilient, courageous person I am who has given myself to be worthy and to take up space and really to dwell in the comfort of my own inner peace above everything else. And on that note, <laughs> Lisa, thank you so much for sharing your story. I know it will be helpful to so many people and especially younger women who are facing this challenge as well. Oh, my pleasure. And if I can add one resource that really helped me, 
um, rethink breast cancer. Oh, they, they're, yeah, they're yeah. really focused on the, on like young women and the experience of young women in the cancer system. They were really helpful. Yeah, actually, I know the uh, executive director there. So, uh, yeah. So thank you. <laughs> Kim Juke is an entrepreneur and speaker. Known as the sales diva, she traveled around the world helping women with learning how to sell effectively. That was BC before cancer. After her diagnosis in 2016, she focused more on her writing, often about simpler living. Her book, A Fine Mess, has just come out, and her website, A Complicated Life, explores her thoughts on life. Well, hi, Kim. Thank you so much for joining me today from Alberta. This has been great having people from across Canada talk about their breast cancer experience. Tell well, me, it's, such, it's, it's such a pleasure to be here, Anne. Well, there you are. So tell me, uh, when were you diagnosed and how did you discover you got breast cancer? Wow. You know, uh, it was in... I, I was actually in London, England, and I was speaking uh, for business at a at a conference there. And uh, late October, I guess it was mid October of 2016. And two weeks after that, I was back here in Canada and um, had just gone to a shop, like to a clothing store, to try on some clothes. And I tried on this blouse, and I was like, "Wait a second! Like my left breast felt sore." And I was like, "What's that?" And uh, it was like a Friday, so I couldn't go to the doctor right away. But I called the doctor, went in like uh, on Monday and instantly then became part of the machine. So I had been, uh, I had just had my 50th birthday. I, uh, what a birthday gift that was. (laughs) So it was, it was was a, a huge shock. I was really having the best year of my life. Everything was going so great in my business. I was working internationally doing some so many stuff things and and that all just went heck in a handbasket pretty much right away and so i yeah it wasn't uh from a mammogram i'd had one when i was 45 and then uh my doctor had had some kind of protocol or alberta protocol not to get uh, another mammogram until 50 which of course i've raised since then i've raised a lot of heck about because i think it's that's a mistake so that's a whole other thing <laughs> that's a Kim is a feisty girl. And so, yeah, I've uh, raised a, some heck about that for sure. So it's, it's, uh, it's certainly has been a, a challenging time. I, it was a, it was crazy. I spent all of 2017, I guess we'll talk about that in a second. I spent pretty much from the end of October going through piles of tests and, uh, to all of 2017 and early actually into 2018 getting breast cancer treatment. So what sort of treatment did you end up having? Well, you know, uh, and of course, I guess if we start from the, the beginning of it all, Anne, and, and you were so helpful to me through that, through that I thank you so much, is because for me, the I had HER2 cancer, which is not a hormone-based cancer. It is uh, protein-based. We all have, we all have HER2 cells. For some reason, mine went a little crazy in my left breast. And it had also uh, gone into, they did a, when they did surgery, they checked my lymph nodes as well. They take out like a lymph node pad, they say. And I had three lymph nodes affected out of 25. So that pretty much guaranteed, as my surgeon told me, he said, they're going to put the shotgun at you 
and you're going to, you're going to lose all your long, lovely curly locks. And, and I said, you know what, I'll turn the shotgun on it myself. I'm taking charge of this. And so, um, I decided to go, it was in just in the white, in the, in my left breast. And I decided to do a double mastectomy. I also had my right breast removed, which did not have any cancer, but I just strongly felt after talking with you and also with uh, quite a few other women that I know who have had breast cancer. And I just decided to, to go for that. And I did not do reconstruction, which a lot of people have said like, why? And, um, I really just, for me, it just wasn't something I wanted to do. It's not a boob job. It's not, uh, it meant about another four surgeries. I didn't want to hurt any other part of my body. And so I just opted out of that. So I live flat. I wear, I, you know, I I thought that I hated bathing suit shopping before. Now I really hate it. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? Uh, You just, you just find a way to adapt. And so after I had surgery, which happened because, of course, I've been in sales my whole life. I made that surgery happen in about three weeks faster than it was supposed to. And um, I did that. Then I had to start chemo in January of 2017. I had six treatments of chemo. Plus, uh, at the same time, I also received a drug called Herceptin, which, I mean, unbelievably, this, like, this stuff is magic because 15 years ago, it didn't even exist and her too is a cancer that without her too, I had like a 50-50 chance of making it. Um, but with getting Herceptin, the drug, uh, which is just amazing, it saved my life it, amongst all the other things that I did. And I had to have 17 treatments of that for a year by IV. So I spent, a, I think it was over 100 trips to the cross here in Edmonton. And uh, after I had six tri- treatments of chemo, I also, they give you that very small break. And then I went right into radiation for a month of daily radiation. I looked like I had the map of Africa on my chest. It was pretty bad and I was bald and oh boy. But you know what? I never, ever thought that I would be telling people about how I would get hair in the mail. Because I called it hair mail. (laughs) <laughs> and there's just I lived a week my husband and I lived on an acreage and honestly I just would get so excited I'd order these wigs online and, and I'd get them and oh it was so funny but you know hair mail hair mail was something that really helped, helped me get through the horror of uh, breast cancer for sure and weirdly I was actually able to continue working throughout this even though I'm a speaker and I and a, and a writer I was mainly doing a lot of speaking and coaching at that, at that particular time. Of course, I lost half my income immediately because all the speaking gigs I had to cancel. And, uh, and then, but I did not put anything on social media. <clears throat> I just felt, you know what, I'm dealing with this. I, I have my support group of people, friends and family and my husband and my fabulous werewolf dog. And uh, so I didn't really put anything on social media. I just kept on. And so Anyone who's ever had breast cancer knows that, and who's been on chemo knows that chemo is very predictable. So once you've, once you know how your body's going to react to it, I would be able to kind of climb out of the hole or off the Lord of the Rings, off the mountain of Mordor. And I would coach clients and do work on on my computer and then drag my very uh, bedraggled ass up the stairs to go back to bed. I spent over 170 days in in bed in 2017. 
Yeah, it's and it wasn't, and they weren't with Brad Pitt. So <laughs> damn it anyway. <laughs> it's it's not a picnic picnic. Actually, I worked all the way through my chemo too. I wow. just actually wanted to make it make myself feel that we were in a routine and everything was yes. as it should be. I was working with teen mothers at the time. And it's funny, they never once commented on my wig. I'm sure they knew, but they never they never said anything. So that's kind of interesting. It's great. Well, and with me, because I was coaching clients um, around the world and it was all through, we weren't using Zoom, we were using just the phone. And so I never told them what was happening. I didn't actually tell them until last year when I met. And so they couldn't believe it. They were shocked. Uh, but it was just, I just felt more comfortable with it. And it, as you said, and it, it keeps your head in the game. I feel that for me, I, I'm self-employed, but it was also, I just didn't want cancer to take everything from me. Yeah. I didn't want to stay home and have a pity party, which is what I thought I would do if I wasn't busy. So, uh, yeah. you know, it was helpful in the end. It was, it was for me too. And weirdly, I asked, you'll laugh at this because my first day of chemo, I signed up for a food writing class out of the United States because, you know, what better time to learn how to write about food when you don't have a bloody taste bud in your head? <laughs> Honestly, the nurses couldn't believe it. They'd come up to me like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm taking a food writing class. And they, you know, they, they I said, I know, I do not, do not know what a, a lemon tastes like anymore, but I'm going to write about one. So it that helped me too. The writing was uh, hugely helpful for me during that period of time. It's interesting. All three of you have written books um, about the breast cancer. Now Lisa's got a bit more than just her breast cancer experience, but I would suspect that was helpful. It was. Um, the writing for me, uh, I, my whole life, I've I've loved to write, and of course, in my business, uh, I've been writing for forever written a couple of business books, but this was the first time. And for me, I wanted my book of fine mess, uh, which just came out. It's not a, it's actually not a cancer book, but it, it is certainly has uh, excerpts about my story and, and what I went through, but it, it it helped me to write about it. Cause that was, and I was really motivated to write about it because I'm a reader and a writer and I read a couple hundred a couple hundred books per year, and all of that that just left me. So my two main comforts, especially reading, just I just couldn't do it. Couldn't concentrate. The stress, the drugs, the all the stuff that you're under, and yet I knew I still needed to have inspiration. I knew I still needed to have food for thought. And so I would just go through my library and I'd read little snippets of things, just to, from Viktor Frankl and. Uh, Maya Angelou and Thomas Edison and all, Charles Darwin and all sorts of crazy things. And that helped me. And it, I, I also made the decision that I was absolutely going to write the book that I could not find when I was sick and to help people when they're stressed, that they can read something that they can dive in and then guilt-free set it down. You know, that it's, so it's really a series of short essays and things. So it's quirky. But it helped. It helped me. I started writing it uh, about a month after I finished radiation. So it it, it absolutely helped me to, um, as you said, not have a pity party. And I think a, a big part of it as well is to, when you go through something so traumatic like this, and so many things change in your life, 
that it helps, it really helped me to find meaning and purpose in what had happened to me, for sure. I think actually, when you think about what's happening right now with COVID, there's a lot of people that are still struggling with, I know after about two or three months, I couldn't read and I'm an avid reader. I just couldn't focus. I mean, it was just very hard, as you say, to concentrate. Yes. So what what has changed in your life because of this? Wow, that's a good question. A lot, a lot. Um, I I was so fortunate. I just had the very best people, my husband, my family and friends. But it also, uh, very quickly, any relationships that were a little weak that or that were troubling me prior to that, boy, does that ever become clear when you go through a tough time, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah. And uh, I actually had to end a couple of friendships because, uh, strangely, people that I some I, there was only about two two people that I thought were wow like were really really good friends. Um, they just couldn't handle it, and they were not. I could not count on them. They did. They didn't. They did not show up. Whereas other people that sometimes you don't you come out. Other people just sort of came out of the woodwork, and they went through the fire with me. And it was, uh, it was, that was profound. The, the love, all the unbelievable love that I was shown through all of this. Um, so I had to, you know, change some relationships. I had to end a couple of relationships. Thankfully, my husband uh, and I, we, we made it through. We, we totally did it. He was an amazing support. About, um, I, I really knew that the tipping point after writing a fine mess, I was like, okay, I really feel like I need to, uh, spend more of my time writing because it is my first love. And so last year I just decided I'd built a bridge for myself and I decided to leave my sales divas world behind that I had done for 18 years and been teaching sales training all over the world and to all sorts of companies like the NBA and you name it. And I just left it in the dust. <laughs> I just decided to start my uh, new venture, I love writing about life and simple living and food. And as I said, my crazy food writing class that I took <laughs> and started writing on a website called medium.com. And, and uh, that's turned out really well for me. It's been a, that was a, a really good thing. We downsized as well. We, before my husband and I, we lived on a uh, acreage for 10 years. We had a couple of acres and it was, you know, it was lots of work. And then his job changed. And so we just decided, you know what, we want to do some more traveling and let's just, let's just find something that is smaller, but still makes us happy. And so that's what we did. Moved to a different city, bought a cottage out by a lake. I have been kayaking like a crazy woman, although I always have lipstick on when I'm doing that. (laughs) And berry picking and foraging and all these things that I love to write about. And so it's a, it's been a lot, but I think probably the the biggest change in me, you know, and I always thought that I was a compassionate person. I really, I did. I thought I was raised to be kind. I was raised to, to all of that. But once you're in the suffering club, you know, I just remember thinking about every single person that has ever suffered throughout the century. And now I'm going totally woo-woo on you here. I, I really did. I'd lay in bed and I'd think about all the people, all the billions of people who have suffered through the centuries. I would think of all the people who are suffering right now. 
And I think about all the people who are going to suffer in the future. And it just made me realize that I'm lucky and that I need to be even more compassionate. And I, so I, I absolutely work on that all the time, <laughs> trying to, not that, you know, not, not where I'm not having time for myself or anything like that, but I just decided I, oh, yeah, just wanted to give more, be, be more myself, be, give more. I volunteered right away when we moved to, to St. Albert. I, uh, I just love kids. I never had kids. And, but I've always been a volunteer and with children in some capacity. And so I signed up for big brothers and big sisters. And I've been working with two lovely, lovely girls from two different families for the past couple of years. And, you know, it, massive joy in my life. I'm so, I'm so lucky. Last but not least, we have Meryl Cook. Meryl is the author of One Loop at a Time, a story of rug hooking, healing, and creativity, and as well as One Loop at a Time, the creativity workbook. Since 2016, Meryl has been a speaker and given workshops across Canada and in the U.S. What began as a way of holding space for herself following breast cancer has become a career as an artist and as a corporate team facilitator, focusing on well-being and engagement. Let's give Meryl a big welcome. Thank you. So welcome, Meryl, to our program today. I'm really pleased you were able to join us from Halifax or Dartmouth. But um, what I wanted to do was just sort of talk a bit about your cancer journey. So (laughs) when were you diagnosed and how did you discover it? Uh huh. Thanks, Anne. So, yes, I'm happy to be here. So, I was diagnosed with uh, my breast cancer during the summer of 2015. So, it took a few months before everything was all set and ready to go for surgery. But uh, it was done, it was diagnosed through a routine uh, mammogram. My sister, Nancy, had had breast cancer about five years before me. And uh, prior to that, I hadn't been a real regular mammogram person. But I, uh, I had started going for yearly mammograms after her diagnosis. And what happened was uh, they, they found a type of cancer that was, I think it's called branching. So it wasn't actually a lump that they could feel. So even after they told me which breast it was in and, and uh, where it was, I couldn't feel it for the life of me. So had it not been for the mammogram, it would not have been detected. Um, yeah, so that was the summer of 2015. So five years ago now, I'm I'm coming up on my five year uh, surgery <laughs> anniversary. <laughs> yeah, on September 23rd. So yeah. So what about your treatment? What did you actually end up having done? Well, they offered me uh, surgery and radiation or a full mastectomy, and I felt at that time that. I wasn't really ready for a mastectomy. I thought, well, if it comes back, then I'll do the mastectomy. But they they were fairly sure that the cancer was confined to the breast. So I had surgery. I had uh, several lymph nodes removed and had what's called a lumpectomy. And then following that, I had a fairly major hemorrhage. So that took about nine weeks to resolve. It was uh, not pleasant. In fact, I, uh, I flew to Paris because, of course, as soon as I got diagnosed, I thought, oh, we have this trip planned. Can I still go on my trip? So I managed to go on my trip between 
between the surgery and the radiation times. We just had enough time to do it. So I, I went through the Paris uh, airport with a maxi pad in my breast, uh, in my bra, because I was still <laughs> leaking from the hemorrhage. I mean, it was, wasn't glamorous, but I was going. Um, so I had radiation and then, uh, yeah, and then took, took about a few months to recover from the treatments. Yeah, it's funny how we don't realize what could go wrong or what could happen. I, I know when I had uh, my double mastectomy, I ended up with a hematoma and, mm. and infection. And yeah. I had a uh, business planned in Moncton. And I thought, mm-hmm. I'm going. And yes. so I had to have these dressings changed every day for about a month. And so uh-huh. I had to line up all these nurses everywhere <laughs> I went. And I had a hard time doing that. You know, yeah. and somebody said, well, and most people don't travel. <laughs> right. And you don't really realize how, how tired you're going to be during something like that. So I barely remember Paris. Uh, I'd love to go back again because I had a lot of naps while the rest of them were off doing things. And then I'd join them for dinner or, you know, that kind of thing. So, but I was still really happy that I went. Well, I'm sure you were. So what did you learn about yourself? Because it is a journey, isn't it? It's, it's a real journey. And the first thing that I learned uh, is that I could make some changes. I, I knew it was an opportunity to really change my life. I, I knew that cancer was illness at a pretty deep level and that I needed to really take care of myself in order to fully heal. So one of the first things I learned was how much I'm loved. I mean, people were wonderful. <laughs> People came out of the woodwork to help my husband and I and, and my kids, and, and it was really, really lovely. And the other things I learned about myself is I learned how much courage I really have. You know, I stepped away from my practice as a homeopath after 20 years to heal, and uh, that took courage. And I also learned that I have lots of tenacity. You know, I, I sort of really hung in there and, and got through the treatments and the other thing that was surprising that I learned is I learned about joy. I really found a capacity for joy during this whole process. I had made up my mind that I was not going to do any more shoulds. <laughs> I was only going to do things that made my heart sing. And, and then it started to sing. I just started to look for joy every day and, um, and yeah, all kinds of things opened up. So I, I would say the biggest thing was the joy the joy that still is in my life um, since then. Yeah, it's funny about people coming forward. I remember mm-hmm. being disappointed that some friends just disappeared. And, and I yeah. decided that was their problem, not mine, because they yeah. just couldn't cope with it. Yeah. But other people, like almost complete strangers, like a neighbor used to make uh, meals for my kids when I was going mm-hmm. in for chemo. In fact, they liked it so much, they were saying, does Mrs. Davis do lunches? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, we had the same experience. There were a couple of people who I thought would really be there for me that I think they're just, me having cancer made them too afraid of dying, afraid of me dying and all those other things. There was lots of fear that they had, but neighbors kind of came out of the woodwork and, and actually have become very, very close friends since then. Well, that's true. So you created an amazing book. Tell mm-hmm. us a bit about the book you did. Well, the first book that I did was called uh, One Loop at a Time, A Story of Rug Hooking, Healing, and Creativity. When I decided to close my 
practice as a homeopath, I didn't know what I was going to do, so, but I made the decision that I would close my practice and that I would allow myself some time. So what I did to kind of create space for myself for that healing to occur was I started to write in a journal and I also started to uh, sit every day at my rug hooking frame and hook and write and hook and write. And I developed, uh, I started hooking also with the chakra colors, which I had discovered during the month that I was waiting for my diagnosis. And what I found was people were responding um, to these rugs and to what I was writing, and also that I was healing. And, and I had been writing and healing and writing and hooking. And then I, I uh, had a little chat with you, and you had just started your publishing company. And, and we were talking about breast cancer and how was I doing. And I said, well, I've been doing some writing. I'd like to, I'd like to write a book at some point. And before I knew it, we had set some deadlines, and we had decided that by the end of September, if I had everything to you, I could have a book out by the new year. So that's what I did. And so that was, I think, July 27th when you and I decided. So it just came together so quickly. And, uh, and it's been wildly successful for me. Well, I know it has because you've been out there talking all over the world sort of, <laughs> yeah. and, and helping other people and going into corporations and talking about healing as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm sure yeah. really helpful for the staff that work there. It's been really great. It's been a real dream come true for me because prior to having my family, I did management consulting. I have a master's degree in, in applied psychology and, uh, and I always wanted a way to get back into the corporate workforce, but didn't really want to do the standard uh, psychological testing and, and the standard types of workshops. And so when I became an artist, I still had this dream that I wanted to, uh, that I want to do this. So it's finally starting to come true. It's, it's been uh, pretty amazing. So what would you say has been the biggest change in your life as a result of getting breast cancer? I think the biggest change is that I feel really free to uh, listen to my own self to take my own advice, to use my intuition. I, um, I no longer do things because I think I should. Uh, I had a bad habit in the past of taking on more than I should and of thinking, if only I work harder, this will come together. You know, and I just worked and worked and worked and worked. And, and I'm still working very hard, but I'm enjoying it. And yeah, so that's the biggest thing is, is the, the shoulds have pretty much gone out of my life. Well, I think it makes you look at what's important and make priorities. And, and absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It makes you really decide what's important. And for me, what's important is, is to live without regrets. And so I'm trying to do the things that, that I really want to do. I'm trying to spend time with my husband uh, and have more joy in our lives. Well, thank you for your message, Meryl. This is really important, I think, for people to hear because I think when you get that diagnosis, there's that sort of, it's not a death sentence anymore. So I think it's really important uh -huh. that we live our lives to the fullest. Thanks for Absolutely. joining me. Oh, my pleasure, Anne. It's great to talk to you always. Take care. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today on Day by Day 
stories of business life and everything in between. I think we've done the in-between today as we've looked at the stories of women dealing with breast cancer. It was interesting, each story was different and their experiences were different, but I noticed that there were some common themes, like they all felt they had changed as a result of having cancer and that they found their joy in what was important to them. And I think that is, it's because I think it's a wake up call and it makes you realize that there are only so many days in the life and you want to make the most of what you've got. Next month, we're taking a different approach, a different theme. And our theme is about how your attitude determines your altitude. So I hope you will join us. Our first guest is Kristen James, and she's going to be talking about setting your mindset. Thank you for joining us today.